0: Welcome to Buffy Virgin, a spoiler-free Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Make sure to rate and subscribe while we charge the cerebral dampener. We're watching season six, episode thirteen, "Dead Things." I'm your host, cartoonist Dennis St. John. Uh, why don't you, the rest of you guys, introduce yourself in any order? Hey,
1: I'm John. I'm uh, always on Buffy Virgin, and I'm glad to continue to always be on Buffy
2: Virgin. Hey,
3: I'm Travis. I'm uh, not the
2: Buffy Virgin. That is going to be Michael. He'll be next. My name is Michael. I'm next. I'm the Virgin. I've only seen Buffy up to Season 6, Episode
0: 13, Dead Things. Awesome. Uh, so before we get into Dead Things, we're going to jump back to reactions for Season 6, Episode 6, All the Way. Audience Reactions uh, Michael, why don't you read uh, Garant's uh, comment? I
2: think Dennis summed this episode up best, referring to Season 6, Episode 6, All the Way. It's the one before the musical. Hell, the podcast couldn't even get a full compliment for this episode. That's how forgettable it is. Side note, I'm going to be more interested in non-virgin reactions for the musical than this. I'm sure he's going to love it, but will the others think it holds up on a rewatch as for how they first viewed it? Side side note, when will we be doing Angel S3E1? Now the direct reaction for that episode I will be interested in.
0: That's coming up. By the time you are hearing this reaction, you'll have heard all of this information. Uh, <laughs> yeah, be and- months in the future. <laughs> And uh, Renee Pope-Monroe says, Gah, you crushed me just a little with that. We might be doing a few Angel episodes before the musical comment. I guess I will sit on the uh, dissertation about Joss Whedon's love letter to the form of musical theater for a while longer. And uh, I was wrong.
1: (laughs) Uh, Do you think that Renee's is being like... um hyperbolic there in that uh, she's saying that she has sort of a rant ready to go about this or do you think she literally wrote a dissertation about it because either one is possible
2: i really hope that it's a literal dissertation (laughs) please send us the dissertation and (laughs) i would read that people love getting academic
0: about the buffy subject they do they do yeah totally um and kelly cross uh over on facebook says you guys are funny uh you need a female guest sometime um, I I agree. Uh, <laughs> is Kelly 10 out of 10 would agree. <laughs> is Kelly suggesting that she should be the guest? I think so. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, she's welcome. Uh, yep. Uh, and we have had, we've had female guests from time to
1: time,
0: although not nearly as many as would be, uh, ideal, I think. Yeah. Um, and Rich at Dingo Action, uh, goes, those predictions though. And then a gif of, uh, Charlie Day getting pumped. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, guys, what is Dead Things about? Let's find out. Oof.
2: <laughs> the Summary In Dead Things, Buffy is hooking up with Spike, and the trio's latest project is a cerebral dampener, which will turn any woman of their choice into their willing slave. It's cute until Warren reveals he intends to use it on his ex. Katrina, however, regains consciousness and plans to go to the police, forcing Warren to kill her. He was really forced, you know. The trio's plan to get rid of the body is confusing. It involves a David Lynch inspired time distortion trick that will hopefully convince Buffy that she's killed Katrina. It totally works. Buffy thinks she's killed someone innocent, so she's off to confess her crime. Meanwhile, Spike dumps the body. But uh, Buffy has second thoughts when she learns that it's Warren's ex. That's extremely suspicious. The trio, on the other hand, is mostly pleased to learn that they got away with murder, and this ep ends with Buffy learning that there's nothing wrong with her, and that her friends would mostly be pretty understanding if she was shacking up with Spike. But Buffy would prefer not to be forgiven.
0: And thank you for that summary. (laughs) Uh, Let's do Great Lines. Great Lines.
1: Uh, I appreciated Buffy uh, at her job just trying to entertain herself by doing anything ever. Starts uh, greeting customers with, Double meat is double sweet. And then uh, she gets a look from her coworker and is like, Look, I'm just trying. <laughs> it's just something I'm
2: trying.
0: I love it. I like that her coworker is completely silent the entire yeah. <laughs> exchange.
2: You know, just a line from this uh, fun opening here, or f- opening ish. Uh, Buffy says, Is this a new rug? Spike. No, it just looks different when you are under it. Uh, wow, <laughs> that the amount of rugs in that cave yeah. yeah, is just one. so
0: many rugs. <laughs> he obviously robbed like a rug, like a, a Turkish family, sultan, right? Yeah. Like obviously, <laughs> like a family rug business. He just totally cleaned out their inventory. I like this line from Buffy, and then Anya. That's why time went all, went all David Lynch. Right, human perception is based on a linear chronology. Being exposed to the Rosandi for more than a few seconds can cause vivid hallucina- hallucinations and a slight tingly scalp.
3: And I liked the line when uh, Tara visits Buffy at the uh, double meet. Tara goes, "Sorry, I'm late," and Buffy goes, "Time has no meaning here. I'm going on break. Like, to her co- it just was so nice." And her call and her
0: like coworkers just like, "Whatever." <laughs> yeah. Again, no, <laughs> no words from the. No coworker. reaction. Uh, All right. Let's do the kill count, guys. The kill count. Um, so we had one brutal human slaying, human-on-human violence. Uh, three demons. Got timey-wimey, stabdy-wabdy. Mult- multiple trigger warnings for the audience for uh, domestic abuse and rape uh, this episode. So just... Get ready, guys. We're going to be talking about it a little, I'm sure. Uh, Let's do Weird Noticings of Trivia. Weird Noticings.
1: Uh, To start off with, uh, Buffy uh, under the uh, rug scene. Um, She says something about how her uh, new kids on the block posters are dating her. And then she needs to redo her bedroom. And I have thoroughly checked, as we all know. Uh Buffy's uh musical tastes do not run that direction at all by her posters. Uh she has uh she she has a John Prine uh poster, R.I.P., which is still up uh, as of uh season six, but um and a lot, lot of uh jam band pot rock. But uh, no new no kids on the block at all.
0: Yeah, I when when she said that I immediately thought about you, John. I was like <laughs> it's like john's gonna drop the hammer on this claim
2: <laughs> myth busted <laughs> oh man can't she just change her like what she's into like when she's talking with spike is that okay no we know you we, see the, we know what you're doing i mean i choose to think that this is a sort of a, a self-deprecating joke that
1: she's making about herself you know her yeah. uh She's this definitely is a humorous t- example. Like. To Spike, who is two hundred years old and like a giant hipster in his way, uh, like I'm sure that Buffy's musical taste might as well be New Kids on the Block. But also, like, so they're having sex under those rugs, and I just like I'm curious. Like, I know that like Buffy and uh, Spike are both sort of superpower, but does that like include the like hardiness of their skin? Because that would chafe <laughs> so bad. The underside of an Oriental rug as a sex surface would be horrible.
2: That sounds terrible to me. Yeah. I agree. I mean, this sounds horrific. Uh, I just couldn't believe how many regs, rugs. And I, like, what's a normal amount of rugs in a place? Like, this style of rug, like, kind of disbursement, where it's, like, rug on top of rug, is, like, you got it. Obviously, like, you don't want to have traditional carpeting. Rugs are kind of cool and classic looking. You can kind of get away with this, you know, style. I, I like it a lot, but it's still... It's it's absurd. And I, what's I mean the, we what's
1: the floor in the crypt? Is it just is it just a mud floor and then there's rugs on mud? Well this is the sub
2: basement, yes. right? This yeah. is right. the tomb beneath the tomb.
3: Right. Yeah, it, it ain't concrete. Spike spike didn't put down a layer of concrete.
0: <laughs> so it yeah, has I guess to it's be just dirt, right? <laughs>
3: it's either it's either dirt or stone. <laughs> like like there's a natural stone floor there. It has to be dirt. I mean
0: He dug that shit out like it's Cooper Petey, you know what I mean? Speaking of basements, uh, we see the trio's new layer and they moved into a new basement. I just, they probably yeah. rented this place, but we're like, yeah, we're basement boys. We know it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, when they're moving in, uh, to the, to the basement, uh, there's a the little, uh, like cute scene. It's like the, the last possible moment for us to find these characters endearing basically, <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, we get a lot of uh shots of uh Andrew's stuff and I just wanted to go through what Andrew is moving with uh first of all is his records which I feel like the the like the, the this the one you actually like see clearly is uh Peter Frampton's Frampton comes alive which is a really dorky record to have which is the joke but uh if you look at his other records he's mostly listening to soul so there's a collection a soul collection called the sound of Philadelphia 73 and then there's the mystic moods so I feel like uh Andrew's musical tastes are a little hipper then uh, he's getting credit for. Uh, he's listening to quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of '70s soul. Um, in addition, he has a uh, copy of the board game Studs, which is the relationship game of the '90s. Apparently, that's a tie-in to a TV show of the same name. He also has a uh, Nintendo 64 in box in his things. Um, and then, uh, because Michael has a prediction uh, that uh, Andrew will wear another sexist T-shirt. I have to every episode, every time I <laughs> his t-shirt, I have to go through frame by frame and then Google like, cause he always wears a shirt over his t-shirt. So I have to find like the couple of words that are visible and then try to Google them in combinations till I find the exact t-shirt that he's wearing. Uh, so, uh, but it totally paid off this time um, because the t-shirt he's wearing has a picture of Albert Einstein smoking pot and it says, I blew my mind and became a genius. Amsterdam. <laughs> That's a really, really tacky, horrible tourist t-shirt from Amsterdam.
2: I like that. That's kind of, it's it's such a roundabout reference. It's not quite like directly, cl- I mean, I guess anytime you're holding a cigarette or a smoking instrument in a t-shirt or something, it's like, that's probably pot. There's no reason to be just be smoking a cigarette. And then Amsterdam is really the get the tell. That, I mean, that's just, it feels like of an era.
0: Yeah. Back before pot was legal everywhere you only could smoke legally in Amsterdam. We also saw the return of Jonathan's magic bone. I didn't know we'd ever see that again.
3: Uh, Oh yeah, I was saying don't mess with Andrew's vinyl, Jonathan. This is back when the characters were still like somewhat redeemable. It's weird. This episode, it's like like you want to skip until like the horrible thing happened.
1: So I want to talk about this moment where uh, so uh, Tara, like Buffy has apparently agreed to meet Tara at the um, Double Meat Palace and uh, there's this moment where uh, Tara's like, "Oh, so what did Willow do?" And I just feel like that says this like really sad volumes about Buffy and Tara's relationship, which is like Tara knows who she is, like she knows what her relationship to the gang is, is that like there's these were never really her friends.
0: Yeah, that's sad. I feel
1: like is what that says, and it's really sad. It's really heartbreaking, and 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 like. Buffy sort of proves her right about that, where it's like, oh no, I'm not contacting you because, uh, you know, Willow did something bad. I'm contacting you because I need a favor, <laughs> like, and also you won't talk to any of my friends, so I don't have to worry about it getting out. Like, oof.
0: Yeah, I was, I was thinking it from Buffy's perspective of treating Tara like the therapist she needs now, because she does, she can't really talk to her friends, and Tara is outside of the friend friendship group now. It's and a yeah. good
1: choice, like Tara's super. Like handles out all of it, like especially in the later scenes, yeah.
0: she's very yeah. emotionally mature. Yeah, it rem- it reminds me a lot of how Tara helped both Buffy and Don when uh, Joyce died. Yeah,
1: yeah. Tara really shouldn't be hanging out with any of these people because she's, she's like, too good for them. She's just she's just she's just twice the adult they are, right? Tara dating Willow is like sort of the emotional maturity equivalent of Buffy dating Spike, because it's just like there's this big age difference, but with uh, it's just sort of emotional age difference. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, oh yeah. So, not to be a jerk, but that suit that Warren wears is not fancy. I feel, like, I feel like I just need to really make that clear. Like, it looks like a really cheap suit. Like, I think they were trying to pretend that it was fancy or something. Yeah. But that's not like a fancy or nice suit. I yeah, but it it's like a grown-up it fits, his, like,
1: it fits his pickup artist aesthetic. Like,
3: but it, it looks ch- so cheap from a mile away.
0: So also, anyways, like just. Apparently fitted suits just didn't exist in the 90s, if I've learned anything from watching Buffy. like It, it is weird because, like, you're right, because other, other clothes fit.
3: It's like, why don't all clothes just not fit on humans on Buffy? Yeah.
0: yeah, the
2: oversized suit or the, you know, the suit off the rack. I mean, I think we didn't grow up in an era where we even thought about going to Taylor's. But then, like, I just watched the Italian job last night, the <laughs> Michael Caine Italian job. and not like the right one. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And like, as soon as Michael King gets out of jail, first stop, the tailor to get some amazing suits and look like freaking Jude Law of the late 60s. It's amazing. Like, Warren spends no time getting dressed for this part. This is like leftover prom dress up clothes, <laughs> which is
0: still how I dress, honestly. But tailor that stuff, dude. Yeah. All right. uh So then he hypnotizes his ex girlfriend. Uh, I just Jonathan and Andrew genuinely seem to not comprehend what they're doing to Katrina like they don't comprehend the whole thing that they're doing that they're excited about oh absolutely when she confronts when she awakens and confronts them as like this is rape they are shocked by that yeah no I mean it's it's
1: the the equally to which the spell on her breaks like it's like a spell that breaks on them and I feel like that is the most chilling part of this episode because I feel like there is a part of that which feels like that feels really real, yes. like that that idea of like you just they've just put the idea that she's a real person somewhere else in their minds, and that's what allows them to do this violent thing. And it also like works because like uh, the show doesn't drop any hints that weird that the show is going to take it seriously. Like up to that point, like bazoom, buzz, bazoom, buzz. buzz. Like we're we're there with them, and we're laughing along with them, and we're we're encouraged to find these characters endearing and funny. Right up until we, right up until that exact moment. And so this is like, this massive cold water is thrown on it. I it's I actually think it's a really, really, really well constructed moment, and it is really chilling and really upsetting. Yeah.
3: Well, let me let me clarify that, John. I would say like the show wants you to be thinking that it's a, a funny like evil caper gang when they're like kidnapping this lady and hypnotizing her but like we're not really right. feeling on board with that as a general plan like
1: i'm not excited about the whole plan from the get-go <laughs> like well, i'm not i'm not i just want to clarify that i, I mean I'm, no I'm i know yeah this. obviously not now especially watching this for the second time or watching this now being the human i am now uh, but like uh I feel like there's, you know, it's it's I, I think there's a direct intention of taking on like the uh, like the Revenge of the Nerds genre. Yeah. Right. Which uh, and, and the same way that we sort of like I guess like if some genres have suspension of disbelief, like this is a genre that has like suspension of morality. And I think that the they encourage us to put it. They encourage us, us to put ourselves in that suspension. And we do. I think. I think the, uh, on my first viewing, I didn't see this coming, and I didn't, and like, and I feel like that moment that it becomes real is feels it really. You feel it fall down, really, really hard. I think. I think it's really well put together, and it's very upsetting. It's very dark.
0: Later in uh, uh, in themes and deep stuff, I I link to a uh, YouTube article about the Big Bang Theory. And I feel like like these the trio think that they're like the Big Bang characters that. Or like the revenge of the nerds would, would be the more like appropriate for the era. Uh they think that they're like, yeah, on a mad caper, like you said, and don't realize like <laughs> that they're dealing that they're affecting real humans' lives, right?
1: Yeah. Obviously we'll get into that more in themes, I think. Um
2: Yeah, I mean this is not the only time they've abused and tortured a woman. I mean, it just happens I think the where, you know, Jonathan and Andrew get surprised is that it's uh Warren's ex and like That's not the ride they were along for, but it wasn't, it was personal in some way. And they didn't want to be a part of that. Um, the, them being surprised at being rape is such, it's so pathetic. (laughs) Like, I, I guess I'm, I'm watching this as an older, older man. And I didn't feel like I was taken along for the same like comical ride. I'm like, I'm, I'm in distress watching them pick their victim out. And then when it's somebody that, you know, it's even worse. So I think this is and I'll get in my prediction. I think this is condemning Warren to be uh, killed by the show, which is one of their ways out of the, these, this group of characters, because <laughs> like these are this is I think all the other in the context of a horror show, like having them torture Buffy is fine. But this is crossing a clear line that even the characters are upset about, like Andrew and Jonathan are scared about it. And like that line clearly puts, uh you know, Warren in another camp uh anyway i I think i i'm sure the essays written about this episode are amazing (laughs) given the context of the full show i will i will say john i do love
3: the how how the tone of the show changes when 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 she comes out of the spell so I, i i agree with what you're saying what the show wants us to do and that change in tone is dramatic it's profound it's it's excellent absolutely excellent
1: uh so on a far 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 lighter note uh hey guys how about that 90s swing revival that we get a weird <laughs> this is late even i feel like yeah. it's already like three years past the like that yeah. thing
0: i uh, think i think it's appropriate for xander and Anya to get for their <laughs> wedding to get into something that's already out of date like
2: <laughs> i think o2 o- o- is a total perfect time to take a swing dance class like this you know the the music came first and it takes us years to get the infrastructure to learn how to dance. <laughs> He's
0: watching Swingers to prepare for his wedding. What was that zoot suit Riot? What was that song? There's so many yeah, there's a couple, suit
1: right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. That was the big one.
3: Yeah. Cherry Pop and daddies. There you go, that's the band there. And the so, Brian's. I never thought about that name before. That's very strange. <laughs> yeah. So Donna's is obsessed with tortillas. Is she I, I forget, is she going to some tortilla making what happened with this? Is she gonna friends, get, her mom's mom's going to teach her teacher. how to make teacher. Yeah, yeah she was going to learn how to make tortilla. Yeah,
1: I made tortillas last night, and I was it was awesome. <laughs> Did, you?
0: Did you? Yeah, have, I'm glad somebody is teaching Don how to make better tortillas than her like peanut butter and jelly concoction. <laughs> <laughs> the trick is to use cheese and not peanut
3: butter. Man, I told you about that that really rough tortilla I made once. It was. Uh, <laughs>
1: it was turkey is it a full story <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry i think we're getting our words confused here making tortillas does not entail what you put in the tortillas she's learning <laughs> to make tortillas not make a quesadilla oh yeah sorry, right, sorry sorry. It was make
3: sorry. a quesadilla It was make a quesadilla it was it was turkey turkey swiss cheese and peanut butter and it was actually pretty good
1: that sounds awesome although yeah. the peanut butter i could have left out but
3: yeah it was yeah so good. So John you were making
1: um you were I making made it from masa? Yeah. Like masa? yeah, from yes, from Masaharina. Yes. Uh and it was delicious. Uh it's something I do relatively often now. Uh we found now that we found a, a source of uh of Masaharina here masa. in London. Uh I I it's good. Cook them up.
2: Damn. You know we want to nice give s- you Travis like a medical segment anytime there's a medical issue, but really there should be just Travis's food curiosities. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh this is really gross moment where uh uh as like a weird sex power thing uh wants that wants Buffy to stare at her friends while they have sex uh, and I just want to say friends, for the record I would <laughs> not ever find it erotic to watch my uh platonic friends while I'm having sex uh unbeknownst to those uh platonic friends. that sounds uh like something I would not particularly find ironic uh, find erotic so.
0: Well, I I don't think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was wondering what would John think about this.
1: <laughs> Just to alleviate any fears that might be out there. I hope John has never looked at me while he
3: has sex. To be to be fair, John, you don't you you don't know a hundred percent for sure how you would feel until you actually do it.
1: I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. I have never tried. Yeah. this well, could I, be the this could be like the 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 you know the avocados or asparagus of sex you know like you know you just if you've never tried it how do you know you don't like it
2: well to to be on spike's side on this because like i feel sorry for spike here because every indication that buffy has given him is that she would like this like she likes having sex with him she likes her friends not knowing and i think spike guessing that she is turned on by the forbiddenness of their relationship is a total right on guess for the situation so like It doesn't feel wrong. It feels a little gross and dark that the show went there, but also, Mm -hmm. like, Spike is listening clearly to what's going on in that situation, and this is a possible... This is what you like, huh? This is your thing. You like it when, uh, you, you, you know, no one knows that we're together and I'm a toy to you. I mean, their relationship comes to, like, a dark, you know, blow up in a couple of scenes after this, but, like, this is... Yeah, I mean, yeah, doing it in front of your friends. Come on, that'd be gross. Yeah. I mean, Buffy's
0: <laughs> clearly into humiliation at this point. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> She's into it. Yeah. I mean, the the line that ends this, right? Like, we can jump there for a second, right? She says to to Tara, she like wants to be uh she doesn't want Tara to accept her apology or like accept the reality that she lives in. Like, please
0: don't make it okay, right? Uh I I've gotta pull the quote. I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, you know who is not into this sex scene? Sarah Michelle Geller. She's been quoted as saying, um, I had trouble with the one where Buffy had sex with Spike on the balcony while watching their friends. I really thought that was out of character and I didn't like what it stood for. That was the moment that I had the most problems with. Uh, Fair enough. You know, Sarah wow. Michelle Geller defending her character. You know? I wonder, you know, uh, earlier they had sex with uh, the chain, with the. Um, Handcuffs, and I wonder if those are the same pair that got stolen from those cops by Joyce and uh, Giles a while ago.
3: Uh, oh yeah, I almost <laughs> made a joke like uh, <laughs> those cuffs uh, have
0: seen a lot of Summers action. That's
3: a, that's like a Summers fetish. Yeah.
1: I feel like uh, like like when he shows her the shows in the handcuff. There's an obvious joke there to be set up. It was like angels were bigger. <laughs> yeah. uh,
3: <laughs>
0: oh, that's right there was a whole shackles thing with angel that was true on. he had freaking manacles man <laughs> <laughs> got these little cuffs <laughs> yeah
2: so at the end of the episode sarah michelle Gellar says please don't forgive me please don't she doesn't want to be forgiven right uh she wants i mean i would love to talk about this separately but we'll get there i guess about her feelings about herself this episode which are insane yeah uh, because she thinks that there's something wrong with her which is why spike can you know get to her or can hurt her. And so that's what she wants Tara to investigate. And then, like, she, of course, confesses to their relationship, too. And Tara's assuming it's rape. <laughs> and Buffy doesn't completely lead her believe it's not. <laughs> uh, okay, so this crazy plot to frame Buffy that comes together with the time distortion uh, demons that I assume Andrew summoned, right? And then mm-hmm. you have Jonathan also, like, putting on the guise of Katrina, right? in order to make her look alive when they have the dead body at the same time. I mean, this is so crazy. Like, Buffy is completely framed.
0: <laughs> There's no way out of this. Yeah. Like, this whole scene is wild. It's so outside of what Buffy usually looks like. I was like, yeah. this is the first time in a long time it's really felt like a horror show. Which, you know, the show has the trappings of horror, but it rarely actually, like, goes there. <laughs> and, like, this feels like contemporary horror movie to me. Like in the middle of this episode, you know. Well, yeah, the time I mean,
2: distortion.
1: Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just. It just. I just. The thought that just popped in my head was that like I'm thinking about like how you know the the opening scene of the first episode, uh, where it seems like a very uh, cliche sort of horror f- show, and then like you have this like reversal, and then that you know the show is is built on this irony that like of uh, in the first couple seasons of making fun of like horror tropes but secretly it's a comedy right or like but really it's a comedy and then like this episode is almost the opposite where like we're 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 delivered all of these tropes of um kind of uh goofy uh late night comedies and then the 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 actual the undercurrent of that is that secretly it's it's horror um at its heart it's more horror i don't know just this it, the, the 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 position of the genres in the the horror versus comedy seems to have actually reversed
2: well, the time yeah. distortion demon, the way that scene is shot, I mean, it's it's a really powerful like uh, scene because, I mean, as a first-time viewer, I was t- surprised by it. Like, I was like, did I miss something? Like, did is there, I thought there was something wrong with the Hulu episode, like it was cutting. Right? Because it takes a second before you know, Buffy recognizes what's going on. Because it just, the way it's cut just back and forth yeah. between these different time zones. So, like, and the fact that we don't hear the trio discuss this plan to like do time distortion stuff and since we've seen him do it in the past like i was like oh this is this is how they're gonna plant the body but it's still just such a bizarre way to do it and it's super horror yeah it's a horrific a horrific twist um but i like your juxtaposition there between like previously a horror you know trappings of horror but it's really comedy and then it's like trappings of comedy but horror this episode <laughs> it's such a good read yeah
0: good job john Um, the uh the demons themselves though are pretty generic they're just in their cloaks and then their freddy Krueger faces they could have done something weirder with these guys but you know you can't spend all your time on everything so i really love this scene where spikes
2: takes care of the body for buffy like (laughs) as an off-camera thing because it's like super comic like this was a laugh out loud thing that would have could have been my quote for the episode where spike's like don't worry, I've taken care of it. They'll never find the body. And then you hear the cops. They're like, "We found the just found the body. It's in the river." <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, he's like, "Doe," you know, just like "Doe face." Oh, it's so good.
0: Yeah. How is this multiple murderer so bad at hiding the? I body? mean,
1: when you're a vampire, you probably don't really worry about like foiling the cops. I feel like this yeah. might be his first time of like seriously having to do this. <laughs>
0: It totally reminded me of, uh, it was a total flashback to Faith trying to take care of the body when she accidentally killed the deputy mayor. She, almost the exact same thing, she's like, there is no body, so there is no problem. I waited it, no one will ever find it. Like, they found a body. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: then when Buffy negates Spike's love for her, when he's like, I love you, and she's like, no, you don't. I just, oh, man, that makes me so angry. <laughs> Like she doesn't get to control that, but she really wants to control how how he loves her and to what extent. Oh man, that's like that's a wrenching stuff for me in this this episode cuz like Spike is so desperate to try and like uh, start of the episode he's like, "Did we just have a conversation? Are we getting somewhere here?" You know, she's really leading him on into this weird place that I think he's uncomfortable with too. I mean, that that sex scene in the in the bronze is so bizarre. I mean, he's into her, so he'll do whatever. But, like, she is leading this relationship into a comfortable place by her inability to put put a name on it or to even acknowledge it.
0: Right. Yeah. There's a lot of weird relationship, complicated relationship stuff this episode. I also thought during that scene where Buffy is, like, pounding on Spike and yelling, like, you're disgusting, but she's really talking about herself. Right. Like, that's another, like, Faith flashback. That's Faith in Buffy's body. Beating up Buffy and Face Body and yelling. Oh, and totally! That's a good connection.
1: Right. Totally, yeah.
0: I'm so glad
3: you brought that up, Dennis. This is like the Faith triggering episode for me. All I think about when I watch this episode is, man, Faith got a raw deal. And even though at the time, I, I I'm terrified to listen back to our old podcast episode where I hammered down on Faith, but like Faith, she did not deserve what she got. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just have so much sympathy for Faith, and I'm just yeah. I just, I, do, I just think about Faith all throughout this episode. She Total. was just
0: ahead of the curve with them emotionally, <clears throat> you know.
3: I mean, like, yeah, faith just uh, had, yeah. So well, we can talk about faith later. But I'm glad you, I didn't, I didn't even see that connection. I was just thinking faith, faith, faith all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you called this out already as a quote, but things going David Lynch is just an awesome description for things getting getting weird and a way to describe the time distortion bit that just like totally works. And yeah. uh, I don't. I, I don't know why that phrase just really, uh, I just loved, I loved it.
0: So I just want to give it a little more attention. And I don't think it was really particularly shot in a David Lynchy way. Like, it made me think, like, oh, man, what if they really shot this, like, it was, like, entering <laughs> the Black Lodge, you know? Which is a whole other, like, what if the demons were, like, recorded moving backwards but then played forward? Uh, <laughs> what What is the, like,
3: accessible David Lynch movie? Because I don't think I've ever really seen one, like, uh, uh, with Time Traveler, with... Or the time thing, like I don't want to watch the Twin Peaks, like that's so many
1: hours. Yeah, don't watch all of Twin Peaks. Uh,
0: I no, could think all, no, definitely watch all of Twin Peaks. But, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> eventually. But is there like um, an
1: hour and a half version of David Blue? Lynch you uh, can watch? Blue Velvet is pretty close to being an hour and a half version of Twin Peaks. It's really yeah, good, but
0: it doesn't have any of the timey wimey. Yeah, I want uh, that timey wimey stuff you about.
1: Maybe Lost Highway. Uh, yeah, I, I feel I like I feel don't like, like that as um, much as some other ones, but.
0: I feel like the, the Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart are his most accessibly, like, you're getting the David Lynch weirdness, but you're not dealing with body swap yet. Like, <laughs> there's a kind of, like, like threshold for Lynch. Um, Mike, say the word body swap.
2: <laughs> body swap!
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you need to have that on your mixer. Can you, have, can you have that on your mixer and just, like, tap body swap? <laughs> Watch
2: out that on your mixer that's my favorite phrase the well the blue, blue velvet i mean his films are great but there's so much like film influence that goes into making those films what they are and what they're playing with like i mean with B- blue velvet it's like small town crimes but like it, you know it's an unexpectedly you know serene suburban world where horrific things can happen and i think david lynch is like he's going to a really dark, specific, emotional place that he went to as a kid. Like, he tells a couple stories in some interviews where he, like, saw someone, like, screaming, covered in blood or something, what running down the right. street. And it's like, yeah, that just happened. And I kind of, like, was trying to bring back those triggers and memories, right? Because, like, horrific things go on around us, but we don't recognize them. We don't try to. And, like, I mean, there's just such unique stuff that that goes into his very personal take on filmmaking that, like, that's to say a time distortion is David Lynch is, is actually probably off. I don't think there's literally that much time distortion in his films. But that it's like, it's a, it's a byword for weird in the way that Pink Floyd is a byword for art rock, you know? And I guess, like, I hadn't laughed. That idea had not fully been spoken out loud. Like, I don't think of him as the only surrealist filmmaker. Yeah. But I guess if it's like, if you're going to call out, you know, where... Pop culture thinks weirdness is. It's uh, David Lynch, Salvador Dali, and uh, Pink Floyd. (laughs) And that's the weirdest that shit gets.
1: Yeah. Which Which is is a disservice to all of those artists, right? And completely. To all the people who are not them as well.
0: I mean, it's not really a disservice to Dali. That's the image he was promoting. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Have you watched Joe Dorewski's Dune, the doc about.
1: I haven't actually
0: cuz like they uh Gio tried to get uh Dolly to play like um Baron Harkonnen or someone but it was just such like well we have to outweird each other like like who's the weirdest <laughs> like it really made it feel like the, the Dolly just knew his image and was that was his promotion like
1: right yeah i bet both of them were completely insufferable to be in a room
2: with <laughs> god yeah could you imagine i love both of them but <laughs> would not want to deal with either how do you out weird somebody is it because staring contest is about as weird as i go and then
0: how do you go weirder (laughs) than staring contest (laughs) i think it's making insane demands like
2: right he wanted to be the highest paid actor of all time wasn't that the story in the film and then yeah so he was working out to be the highest paid actor per minute on screen or some other weird formula that he was demanding being figured out for him yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I was like, okay, if we reduce his role to four minutes, then he's getting played, like, X per minute.
2: <laughs> a million dollars a minute. Highest paid actor of all time. Yeah, so Buffy's confession to Tara at the end is amazing. Um, please don't forgive me. An amazing way to verbalize not accepting her own bad choices. Yeah. Like, she doesn't want to be the person that's sleeping with Spike. She clearly enjoys it. Doesn't want is trapped in an incongruent version of herself and then the reality of what she's doing. And that kind of acceptance, I mean this is like this is this is mental illness.
0: I mean this is insane. Uh I think it's yeah. It's really important to me that Buffy wanted she recruited Tara to like do do like a psychic eval of her and she <laughs> wanted to find out she came back wrong cuz like that's the only way to explain what she's doing to herself, you know, and to find out she's still the Buffy we've always known is like devastating to her because it doesn't because you like you said, it's incongruent with like who with her vision of what let yeah, her, her real self, her is, image,
2: you know? yeah, her self image. Yeah, I was just going through this course on critical thinking. And one thing it came up with was about this incongruence and how important it is for us to protect our own identities. And this was in relation to they're talking about witnesses and witness tampering and how like your perception of yourself is so important to how you present you know, even the things that you see in the world. And, Mm. and so if the, if it doesn't match the reality of how you see yourself, like you're likely to lie or just not see something because does it match what you think of the world or what you, what you see. So just like the breakdown here, I mean, it's so, it's so powerful. I mean, that's, I guess speaking to this incongruence kind of problem.
0: So, all right. I think that's as weird as we get with these noticings and in trivia. So let's move on to questions for the group questions for the group
1: okay uh first question for the group uh dead things a dark episode or the darkest episode so far what do you guys think is this the dark? i feel like it i don't know if it really is a useful thing to do just to, to um to uh, rate the darkness yeah to rate the darkness is that helpful but uh <laughs> What do you think? Is this the darkest
0: episode so far? Because I feel like it is. It's the darkest season. <laughs>
3: yeah, it's definitely the darkest season. Good point. Uh, let's go. We can go. We'll go quickly, season by season. Season one. I don't think anything really has been darker than.
2: Uh, this. I mean, there was th- that love potion thing. Always strikes me as so so dark. That's season two. Is that season two with the love potion? Okay. Right, the one that, where Xander, everyone loves Xander. You mean? Oh yeah, I guess that's that season. Oh two. yeah.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like like uh, season two wasn't ready to acknowledge how dark a uh, love potion mm-hmm. is, and season six is sure. right. Yeah, yeah. Is I mean, what? How much difference is there between
1: uh, Andrew or Jonathan and season one or two Xander?
2: Is yeah, like no, none. <laughs> yeah, because like the romantic manipulation that Xander pulls off there. I mean, it turns against him, so it's like it. You know, he feels the consequence pretty hard, pretty quickly for it, but. I mean, this, I don't know, they're turning someone into a slave versus, like, making everyone attracted to him. And that, like, catch-all effect makes it, sets it up for comedy really fast. But the specificity of this plan, I mean, okay, then you got the, like, the sex robot, the Buffybot creation and how effed up that is. And that turns into, you know, Spike's plaything. But that gets the long enough storyline that we get to Buffybot being a useful decoy (laughs) when we're fighting, um, you know, at the end end of season five. And G- like well, G- uh, gingerbread gingerbread
3: men was pretty dark in season three, where they where they try to burn those people, burn the witches at the stake, right? Yeah, gingerbread. Yeah, and that's that's a pretty dark. turning against their own children. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty
0: dark. Yeah, but you know that episode has Moo. That episode <laughs> is also focused on cavity. Um, yeah, no, it's no, interesting no, yeah. to think like uh like the a- Amy the robot one. Like Katrina's in that, and it looks like she dies in that. But like, literally, I think that they—the only reason that they don't kill her is so they can kill her later in this much darker way, right? right.
2: Angel murdering Jenny Calendar, cold blood. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty horrible. Yeah, but it—it's uh, just he just murders her. He doesn't psychologically manipulate her before like this, so that's worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it might be the worst. John, good call. I, I think it probably is, yeah. I, darkest. I, darkest, yeah. Because it's such a twist. It's a, It flips
3: so hard. I mean that. It, it, and, and to John's point, it, it takes characters who were previously not evil and and firmly, firmly, you know, stamps them with, you know, 100% evil, right? Alignment shift, yeah. U, USDA, 100% evil villain. <laughs> That's, that's, that's one yeah. of the big tragedies. You know, Jonathan going from this... Mike, can you imagine Jonathan, this character we were all just geeking out and so happy about, right? We're yeah. like, oh, look at Jonathan, he's season one, he's season two. Like, he almost kills everyone, right? Jonathan is the shooter that... that right. You know, he's he's <laughs> going to kill himself, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Buffy saves Earshot. his life. Yeah, Earshot, yeah. And, you know, happy-go-lucky Jonathan. And now it's like, no, he, this, this poor, this guy grew up to be a complete villain, a complete... Yeah, evil person.
2: Cool. I got a throwaway question next here. Um, who do you enlist to help you telepathically manipulate your ex? And uh, it, <laughs> you, you guys, you're you're my friends. You'll help me, right? I mean, can I say I wouldn't do that? Is that yeah. an acceptable answer? <laughs> is there a pass? Uh, yes. I mean, just I don't think they know that they're going to manipulate the ex, right? That's the only reason they enlist. I just wanted to call out that part because I that part is like. You know, Andrew and Jonathan are along for the ride until uh, they realize who it, who it that it's personal. But But the fact that they a real line, like that's not an acceptable moral line. (laughs) But the fact that they don't know, I mean, it just like it's just how cold, like, like how cold Warren is, and how he's These friends are basically discovered since that happened, and they've been deliberately recruited, and this might be the whole reason that he got them together. Like the fact that. This is the direction they're going, and like it's a huge de- detour from Buffy. <laughs> uh, which, again, unclear why they want to kill Buffy. Except it's, it seems hard. Um, okay, that so. My, my, I guess my like dark comedy question is: You get away with murder with your friends. How do you celebrate? Uh, <laughs> secret parties every year on the anniversary of your shared crime? Tattoos? Or do you experience shame? How do you How do you celebrate? Commemorate your murder that you we all murdered someone <laughs> together. seeing as shame is my response
1: to like you know not murdering people i feel like if i murdered someone shame would definitely be the response or maybe you would break through and it would just be that would be that you would
0: no more shame ever yeah
1: (laughs) shame is no longer
0: something i experience
1: i mean like uh here's a horrible recommendation is uh woody allen's movie uh um, crimes and misdemeanors which is You know, about the question of like, how much can you forgive yourself for? Which, coming from Woody Allen, is a really dark question, right? Like, (laughs) that movie is already really upsetting and like, it's really good. I mean, no one's saying Woody Allen's not a good filmmaker. Uh, It's a really good and and really uh, interesting film about how some people torture themselves over tiny, tiny, tiny things and some people forgive themselves for horrible things. And it's an observation which is so so much darker when you think of it as coming from woody allen
0: All right Sorry. you guys want to you guys want to <laughs> move on to themes and deep stuff now
1: deep stuff uh so maybe not the most interesting thing about this episode but like uh I feel like the observation that there's a lot of misogyny in geek culture is a fairly commonplace one now. Like living in a post GamerGate time, uh, like I think that that's something that a lot of people have come to terms with. Uh, but in uh, when this came out, when this 2001? I still f- I feel like that was that would have not been obvious, and it was this this show is quite a quite a bit. And I'm not the first person to say this. Like people have I've read a few think pieces along these lines that this this season six Buffy. Is fairly ahead of its time, just in terms of calling out the misogyny that is just always just under the surface in geek culture. It seems to be. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: I think one thing that's amazing is like, if this not show, that was, under the surface. like if this show was b- being aired right now without any edits, how much geek culture, how much like white male geek culture would have turned against it at this point sure. for its yeah. portrayal of these guys, for its criticism of the uh, uh, of these guys, and it like kind of went on under the radar at the time. Um, yeah, I wanted to call out, there's a good YouTube video called The Complicity of Geek Masculinity on the Big Bang Theory. Because, like, the Big Bang Theory is contemporary, right? It came out after, I mean, it cont- it's contemporary to now. It came out after Buffy was finished, and it just ended, like, last year or something. And it's, like, doing everything that the trio's doing without a critical lens, right? Um, <laughs> it's So, like, not only is it's so ahead of Buffy, so ahead of its time for now, but it's like, like, even, even now we're getting stuff that's portraying these same characters with like free range without like calling out the viciousness of it, and it needs to be called out by others, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like the 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 thing that that partly comes from is uh, this like, and I I don't know anything, but I'm not a psychologist, I don't think about it, but like working with. Uh, young people and working with little kids, like an observation that I've just had about, you know, human nature is that, uh, the students, the kids that perceive themselves as victims are sort of the most dangerous kids. Like, uh, and it's not necessarily untrue that they're victims, right? Uh, the, the, the the little kids who, that I've worked with that perceive themselves as bullied also reach a point where they perceive that anything they do to others is justified because they understand themselves in a victim role. So, so totally, uh, I've just seen this happen over and over again that like the, the kids, like kids who are going out and starting fights over and over and over again are often kids who are doing that because they, they can't possibly see themselves as, uh, instigators because, they so identify with someone else they so they, they believe that like in life someone else started it and i feel like that's part of this like certainly like this this version of like the uh the geek identity and certainly is is comes into uh comes from like comes into play in like uh, revenge of the nerds right it's in the name uh that like uh we're you know this idea of of victimhood or of smallness or of non-threateningness is so overpowering that you can justify anything under that umbrella uh, I think is part of the problem, and uh, needs to die.
2: All right, man. Yeah. So geeks can't be victim. Like it's on un- geeks being just them being victims, and in, in culture allows this to happen. Yeah, I feel like that's part culture of culture to develop. I think that's part of it.
0: Yeah, they're always fighting against like the jock bullies, and it's like, right there are there are no jock bullies here. This is. What? You
1: just like, and even just like the, the, I mean, I think you see that in all kinds of things, like how, like, how do we manipulate ourselves in the story to become the underdog to justify whatever we do after the, after we're the underdog, right? I feel like that happens in all kinds of stories. Like, uh, um, how, uh, you know, the, the, the premise of, uh, of Rocky is like, how do we create a story in which a white guy is an underdog, uh, under a black guy so that we can have, so that, so that we can create that situation, right? That might be a bit of a lateral move. Sorry, but.
0: No, you know there's the, that Eddie Murphy stand up about uh, it's old but it's like about like white Italian guys har- harassing you after they watch Rocky <laughs> 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 alright uh, next question or next topic
1: I just thought there was something and there's something going on in this episode around guilt I think that we, we had a discussion previously about guilt right and I can't even remember what episode that was now um, and I think it's an ongoing question about like the value of guilt and whether or not it ever has any, because we know, we know it has destructive power, but whether or not it has ever has any positive power. Right. And one of the things that you see in the, some of the subtleties of the performance is that Jonathan is struggling with this all the way along, not all the way along, but from the the moment he, from the moment he hears that magic R word to the end of the episode, he's struggling with it. Right. And, uh, I feel like, I honestly can't remember because I never watched season six, so I'm sorry. But I honestly can't remember if they're building to Jonathan having a break with the trio or if that never goes anywhere. I honestly can't remember.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, one thing right at the end of the episode, you see a shift between Jonathan and Andrew, where they were right. both like shocked. But they came along for the ride; they were shocked. But at the end, Andrew is like, "We got away with murder." He's just so exactly like that idea, whereas Jonathan is like still horrified. Yeah. Exactly. So
1: I feel like it, it'll be interesting to see. I just want to, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, the whether or not Jonathan's guilt has any value, right? Yeah. And the question of whether or, or whether or not he's just consoling himself by at least saying that he's not like his friends who don't feel bad, who,
0: um, but does the same things. I, yeah, when we were talking about guilt before, I think I brought it up partially because Buffy was feeling so guilty in her mind for something she, she thought. And that mm. was the trigger for That's me. right. That was like like... Don't feel guilty for things that pop into your head. Feel guilty, right. ma- like that's that's very different for me from feeling guilty for actions.
1: For things that you've done, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Especially like thoughts you can't control. Like there's a difference between even like a repeating thought that you're like enjoying and you're going to explore versus it's shit that just pops into your head during traumatic moments. Um, right. I'm not saying there's never a value for guilt, but I'm more anti-guilt than my Catholic upbringing. The other big theme I wanted to talk about was just defining consent between, because like be, what we get with this episode is like two parallel stories between about Spike and Buffy's relationship and about Warren and Katrina's relation, quote unquote relationship, and I think this episode really clearly defines like Mike was that even though what Spike's Spike and Buffy's relationship can look can look gross from the inside and from the outside. There's <laughs> always consent there. Cause like you got to agree to be handcuffed, I guess, or you don't have to, but you should be in a real BDSM relationship. There needs to be consent. Um, and so you could just see, I don't know. I was just thinking a lot about like how spike is less, even though he doesn't have a soul and stuff is so much less toxic than Warren. Um, and Spike is like Mike talked about, very much trying to read what Buffy is into and respond to it, versus like just trying to control. Um, but you know, from the outside, they can look similar, but I think they're very different. I don't know about. <laughs> what? I good.
2: I I don't know about Spike and Warren. I just want to respond to the Spike Warren being like Warren is. You know how different they are from each other because I think like Spike is um, he's a stalker that got what he wanted, you know, eventually. Uh, He had to humiliate himself in the process. And now, you know, through some sick use of uh, ongoing television, has in a relationship with Buffy that is super gross and weird. uh, I think like Warren is just moving much more quickly than Spike. Probably all of Spike the word the horrible thing spike has done probably could be compressed into one episode that would feel like this or worse than this but because it's a little bit over time we're more comfortable with the insanity that's true yeah i, I don't think spike is that great a person a great, you know i'm still enjoying the character i mean this is the he, dance yeah. this show forces us to make it's a horrible feeling
0: he might be soulless beast but damn he's chairman I answer. mean,
2: I, I, I'm i going to totally go back on five
3: seasons of of my dislike of Spike and say Spike's a great, like a great character, like a great foil to, I mean, it's not really even a foil to Warren because he's, he's been on the show much longer, of course, but but I, I mean, I don't think Spike is doing anything inherently wrong with his relationship with Buffy. Um, it does appear to be consensual. Now, let's remember my... Uh, that Spike did kidnap Buffy and have her chained up, and that was definitely not consensual. Okay, that was, but that was before. That
0: was a whole season ago. That was a, that was
3: a season ago. But like the current thing is, it seems very consensual. It, I don't think he's doing anything gross to Buffy. Um, it just appears that Buffy has guilt, or um, she has her own her own emotions regarding the relationship, and and so Buffy's probably exuding not exuding the most. Um, She's not acting in 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 a stable way for the relationship, so I think she's influencing what also happens um but i I think this is the one time where spike's totally in the in the to me he's I don't see anything wrong with his behavior necessarily. He's responding to her, her desires, what she wants out of the relationship um and he's not kidnapping her or forcing her to do anything right now um, that the public you know thing on the balcony notwithstanding that appeared to be consensual for whatever it's Oh it's were.
2: consensual yeah I mean I don't um, disagree but he's re- he's, this is after repeated harassment. This is him asking every episode for however many seasons and now he's in it and now he's reacting responding to whatever it is Buffy wants still trying to get her to say she loves him now it's like he, he just he's just it's exhausting he's an exhausting <laughs> boyfriend
0: uh, Travis I think you have a really interesting final DM oh question. yeah
2: and
3: of course of course when i saw this i couldn't just help but think how buffy you know thinks she accidentally kills this girl and then like goes to dawn's room wakes her up and says like don i love you and i think i can't remember if she says i have to like go i like, killed someone i have to go confess like buffy buffy's sense of moral code is still so incredibly strong that like at this point after how many apocalypses and dennis can ask what's the plural um, <laughs> That 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 within hours or within like minutes of thinking she accidentally killed one person accidentally during like a crazy, confusing fight. She (laughs) she's like, I have to go turn myself in. Like, I mean, it's a huge contrast compared to how um, Faith dealt with things. Now, let's be fair. Let's you know, Buffy is much older she also is going through some things that may be affecting her decision making ability but she's much older and and she always had a different moral compass than faith and she had different upbringing than faith of course uh but but it's a good contrast i kind of disagree with both <laughs> well i would like to hear what you think between buffy and faith like well
1: yeah i think the way the episode positions it uh it's not a, it's, it is not an act of moral strength for Buffy to turn herself into the cops. The thing that Dawn accuses her of is that this is her giving up. That it's actually far easier. This is this is this is actually far more like uh, Buffy running away and being mm-hmm. Anne than it is like anything else. Uh, rather than hang out and deal with the responsibility of taking care of Dawn, she'd rather go to jail. Is I think how Dawn what what Dawn accuses her of, and I think the episode's kind of on her side because as soon as like there's a little bit of thinking about it the idea of going to the cops kind of evaporates um i don't know i i feel like uh i'm inclined to believe that this is this is a a a, a symptom of buffy's depression the, the the immediately going to the cops rather than uh masquerading it as sort of uh moral fiber i don't think it's moral fiber at all she wants to be punished right i mean yeah
3: exactly she wants to be punished yeah but it's not like she's going to be punished. You know, she's not going to the cops to be punished for non-law-breaking activities.
1: I mean, she's going you to know. the cops to be punished for sleeping with Spike and for <laughs> not uh, being a good sister. And no, no. the no, I mean, things like, that she feels bad about. Like she's, she's she's done other crimes, Like she's done other like soft crimes that she's. I not think because I think of, well, if Buffy took an honest look at what is the greater good to be served, like it would not be to turn. Even if she had, because like this could have happened, right? I mean, that's the thing that I kept thinking is like. Given the way Buffy lives her life and the fact that she is out there, like
0: every single night, it's a
1: dangerous job, right? If she was working construction, like accidents happen, right? And her job is at least as dangerous as construction, right? She could have hurt somebody. That's possible. Uh, And if that had happened, it probably wouldn't be if it was purely an accident, it probably wouldn't be the right thing to go to the cops. Because like Spike says, she's going to do more good or she has done more good and she's going to do more good out than she would in prison. So it's probably not the right thing to do to turn herself in. I think she's turning herself in because she's looking for a moral authority to judge her,
0: right? Are you arguing for, uh, what's the term, Um, qualified immunity? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I know that, John.
3: Oh, John. Oh, that's It's because you're living in the UK right now, brother. Uh, Oh, brother. What is qualified uh, immunity? Sorry, help me out.
0: It's one, it's. That's you know, fucking crazy, uh, dude. Uh, that, that's insane.
3: A, that's absolutely the most <laughs> insane thing I've heard all day, dude.
0: Whoa. That's cops beautiful. that's qualified immunity, you know. Obviously. So,
3: so it, it, it's 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 John. It's it's why um, cops can kill can kill uh, people who have not. Oh, been, or, sorry, not, yeah. So they can kill people, the public, without having lawsuits or going to jail.
1: Yes. No. I'm sorry. I am. I have. I have read that term. I apologize. Yeah. I did. That's a. That's a big context shift. Uh,
0: <laughs>
3: what, what I'm. What I'm frustrated with is that like there. I feel like Faith used very similar ways to justify not going to jail the first time, and like so. Yes, John. I agree. The, the show wants to use this death to talk about Buffy's like guilt, and I guess I'm. I'm frustrated that they missed like the opportunity to, to have it. To to do like a real comparison between Faith and Buffy, maybe that's my my real grumpiness is like, it's like they misuse this one time. I mean, like let's be honest. I mean, I'm not spoiling anything. How many more times is Buffy going to accidentally kill or think she killed a human being? Right? Like this is this is a pretty rare occurrence. And then they wasted on the idea of like guilt, right? Gu- guilt with how with she's feeling. What a, what a feeling.
0: disgusting waste of time.
3: Right. I'm I'm just saying like. This is like a great moment to contrast a great hero. And it's like no, I want to use it to just talk about how Buffy feels guilty about her relationship with Spike for which she has nothing to feel guilty about. Like it's I I mean it's real like real judgy that they would need feel the need to the idea that they need to use the, use the buffy's and spikes relationship is like a real guilt. I mean, there's, there's literally nothing wrong with it, <laughs> but it's like you waste this really dramatic moment. And, and, and maybe I'm just a little bit frustrated. Like to me, it was never, a, to me, it's never a question of, you know, why, you know, Buffy, why, why does Buffy need to feel this guilt anyways? So maybe I'm just a little bit frustrated that, that, that was, it's wasted in my, in my eyes.
0: Thank you, Travis. All right. Why don't we move on to recommendations? Recommendations. And I see Travis has one this week.
3: Oh, that! if you're wondering, that is the band Bush that was playing <laughs> midway through Oof. the episode. And I feel like that's a problematic band, but it had some really <laughs> good hits.
2: Why is it problematic? Did they, though? <laughs>
3: uh oh I, I thought john was referring to some problematic activity that i didn't know about i mean bush had some great hits let's be honest
1: no they just didn't no i just they suck just as a band <laughs> i have By no problematic
0: I mean, mean just they they suck yes that's probably oh, okay. a
1: problem <laughs> i just
0: i just assume when
1: i just assume when someone's like, Ugh, I'm
3: no, like oh no okay no. Even, something i didn't know about the, the band. Time,
1: even in the 90s at their height i was could never understand the appeal of that band
0: what's their big hit
2: uh, I mean, glycerin. he, he uh, breathe. Yeah. I mean, they he doesn't want to come back down from this cloud. I I find I really like them because I think they uh they're kind of like absurdist horror horror like like they just general angst angsty British yeah. lyrics. There's that kind of whiny '90s uh, grunge vocals that was just like really grunge horrible. vocals. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's like just emotional. No thanks. Grunge vocals. It's like pre emo stuff. I mean, it's great.
3: I feel like it's like Super Mario. Super Mario 3 versus Super Mario World. And the Super Mario World is, is Radiohead, right? That's like the British band that su- that succeeded them. Am I thinking about this right I mean, now? they're
1: contemporary, but... I mean, Radiohead uh, was really having records first, right?
3: Uh, they're, I they're think probably, Radiohead... Well, I guess Radiohead blew up. Radiohead really blew up. And they stayed relevant, maybe.
2: Well, yeah, because they're the art rock that was like deep... Like had some substance versus... I think Bush's art rock that didn't have any substance... I think Okay, so that's how we can think about Bush versus Radiohead, because they're both British bands. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. And then Oasis is like, we're trying to be the Beatles, but we're kind of oh dirty God. and mean. Oasis, <laughs> is <laughs> Yeah, they got rid of themselves. I mean, they can't.
3: <laughs> okay, so yeah. I guess you could, you could try to, if you wanted to, you could listen to Bush and then listen to Radiohead and decide which camp you're in. It's a i don't think
2: it's i I, mean, I like you setting this i mean this is a good try good on you to try and set this up as opposed to trying versus. to help people make
3: a binary choice because I, I wonder if john likes radiohead and i bet john doesn't like radiohead
0: actually john's I too don't. hipster for radiohead
1: I, I am it's true i've never understood the appeal
2: of radiohead either i like for different reasons, reasons. radiohead <laughs> i know mike i'm just playing i feel like uh yeah kid a and uh razor blade suitcase i mean just really phenomenal <laughs> But not, not not binary. But I mean, maybe I think just Bush made songs that sounded emotionally like they had a lot going on in them, even when they didn't have very much. Like Gavin Rosdale's voice and those, he's really able to bring out what sounds like uh, emotionally transformative yeah. kind of moments. And that's so hard to do in any song. And he also had a sense of, like, gravitas to it, even if the lyrics are banal. And I think, like, you know, just where, like, rap music, like, I don't get rap. Like, they're rapping about dumb stuff. It doesn't make sense. Well, lyrics are only part of music, maybe even less than half of what makes music emotionally powerful and interesting. And I think with Bush, it's, like, there's an emotional power that's delivered that's more important than the lyrics in the way that it's delivered that I responded to. And, like, which is why you can put a Gavin Rossdale song under uh, a dramatic scene where, Uh, buffy and spike don't touch each other but are maybe waiting outside the crypt door and it just it uh it elevates the scene it also for me which i love this is pure emotional 90s time travel like (laughs) there aren't many of these moments around where it's like wait a weird use of a bush song that's going to trigger me and i was not aware this was here like that was a really special little uh, like unlock in my mind I, i like that a lot but I didn't, yeah, I didn't know you brought it out, Travis. <laughs>
3: yeah. And then, well, maybe like Bush is like Gavin Rossdale's a great performer, but like, it doesn't mean he's a great songwriter. I mean, I mean, so so like, it's interesting, like he's got his own superpower, like, but, you know, there is like a literal appeal, like to Bush. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I have a heart
3: like, I would say Radiohead's probably the much stronger songwriter, the much stronger composer.
2: Yeah. And again, they're doing different things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think Radiohead tense, like their lyrics could be more political and I think Bush could be more just straight up emotional, but it will mm-hmm. get there with lyrics that are that make no sense. And I, I I appreciate that about what they what they've been able to do. Yeah, they could be singing in Italian. Do you know what I mean? Like,
1: <laughs> no, they're talented. That's why I like them. Uh, what
0: do What does our audience think? Are you <laughs> Bush or Radiohead? But are you Bush or Radiohead? Uh, so my recommendations. Um, I recommend, and these are weird recommendations, because I was thinking, because this is a, a rough movie. I mean, this is a rough uh, episode, so I recommend Irreversible, even though, like, that movie is hard to watch. I don't super actually recommend you watching it unless you're really in the mood for darkness. Uh, but um, it fits a lot of the same themes that this episode does, like controversial rape, weird time travel weirdness. Um,
3: it's weird. I saw the movie in theaters.
0: Wow. I don't think I did, but I feel like I've seen that movie with you guys, but I don't know. Memories, man. It's
3: very difficult. It's a difficult movie to watch.
0: Yeah. It's a difficult movie to watch. I give it the same, like, warnings that this episode has. In terms of, like, the comedic version of this shit, uh, (laughs) there's, like, Stepford-wise, the original, um, also is, like, I think that's the fantasy Warren is operating under. Right. Right. Is like, like, trying someone to who create, took the like,
1: entire wrong message from that film.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's like, Yeah, I just want a robot wife. My real girlfriend, my real ex girlfriend. I want the perfect version. Um, and I also think that the trio probably watched Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs and were like, Yeah, that's part of why I want to be a supervillain. Um, so there's a couple of Dr. Goldfoot movies. Uh, Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machines has the better song. But Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs is directed by Mario Bava. Both star Vincent Price. They're kind of entertaining in that weird way. Um, But they're 60s camp. Uh, And then the comic Click by Milo Minara is also like what the fantasy version of what Warren's trying to do is. A woman gets implanted with a remote control that when it gets pressed and turned up makes her horny to like beyond reason. So she's just trying to live her life. But then somebody clicks the button
2: those italians
0: yeah so uh those are my wrecks, maybe not all the uh you know easiest to watch or whatever but that's what i got going on uh let's do predictions
2: virgin predictions
1: Okay, uh, predictions. Uh, Let's take a look at the current standings. Michael, at the moment, your overall accuracy stands at a 63.88%, while your accuracy uh, in Season 6 is at a 72.09%, This making it your uh, second most successful season, at least so far. Okay, so uh, back in season five, episode four, Michael predicted that Tara will set up a psychic reading spot at the Magic Box.
0: Uh, Dennis, you highlighted this one. Can you explain why? Uh, well, she does. She's not at the Magic Box, but she starts doing psychic readings. She's doing psychic readings on uh, on Buffy. True. So it's clearly, something she could be doing.
1: Could be doing. But has not specifically done. She hasn't set up a spot, I think, is the uh, yeah. the, the really clear and crucial concern here.
0: I just think uh, it's interesting we predicted that, you know, you predicted that way back when. we haven't seen her do, like, any kind of psychic readings since then. But That's true. It's in her skill set.
1: Uh, moving on. Uh, in Season 5, Episode 10, Michael predicted that we will get another candlelit romantic scene because TV can't help itself. Uh <laughs> So at the very our opening scene with the uh, rug burns, uh, there are a number of candles in that scene. So uh, my question to you guys, it is definitely a candlelit scene. Is it romantic? I think when the handcuffs
0: come out, that's pretty romantic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: they do almost have a conversation.
0: I'm going to give this to him.
3: Yeah, I okay. think you have to count it.
1: All right. Okay, uh, season 5, episode 14, Michael predicted that Spike will save Buffy's life.
0: Uh, I argue, I, I highlighted this because I argue that he delayed her going to the cops for long enough for her to find out, you know, for them to find out who did, who you know, the name of the victim. Which right. leads her to be like, oh, it was Warren. So if he hadn't delayed her by getting punched in the face a bunch of times, she would have gone to jail, which is...
1: Is not saving someone's from jail the same as life. saving their life? Yeah, it's ruining her life. Hmm. Okay, Travis, what say you?
3: I'm not worried about this prediction. We can certainly grant it now if we wish.
1: <laughs> All right, let's let's leave it. Let's leave it then. All right. Okay, so Season 5, Episode 18, Michael predicts that uh, Buffy will get a pass from her friends to do something messed up because of her mom passing. Now, I'm specifically thinking about Tara here, where uh, Tara seems to be doing just that. Uh, She's like, you know, Buffy, it's so important for you to give yourself room. you got to forgive yourself. Uh, It's okay if you love Spike. It's okay if you don't love Spike. You're going through a lot right now. Um the only He's really thing,
0: trying hard to give her a
1: pass and Buffy is not. The only reason, and I, I really am sorry that I have to do this, the only reason that I might not want to confirm this one is because of a singular letter in this prediction, is that Michael predicts uh, Buffy will get a pass from her friends,
0: plural. <laughs> I'd also argue this isn't a pass because of her mom dying, this no, is a pass because not. she died. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's this true. So will
3: Although she didn't didn't Tara bring up the fact that her mom
1: died I mean I, I would accept that that part that that's at least implied right yeah uh just in like Buffy's like accumulated snowball of trauma right right um but I think uh to me this is like especially because like it's dubious in this scene how much Tara is her friend uh there's that 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 to me is also part of the core of that scene i Uh, think there's definitely
0: this this almost establishes that tara at this point is a better friend because she's more separate than the rest of the group right
1: true yeah true but again it's friends plural so i think we got to leave it open yeah It's fine uh okay uh in buffy's season six episode three michael predicted that buffy will stay the night in spike's crypt in season six and so she has she stayed the night it would seem to be uh in that uh, in that famous rug scene, famous.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, this whole time, whenever anyone talks about the rug burns, I always get like a line from Alanis Morissette stuck in my head.
1: <laughs> in Buffy season six, episode four, Michael predicted that Jonathan and company will attempt hypnosis on Buffy. Uh, I think that the uh, mojo in the cemetery with the the timey wimey uh, totally cons- that that counts as hypnosis in my book. I think that's good enough
0: okay yeah and they clearly they even mentioned buffy when they were uh doing the cerebral damp dampener they're like well we can't use it on the slayer first we gotta try it out oh,
1: okay
0: uh, like that was clearly the plan for that so i'd fall. like to, i'd like to
1: confirm that one sure hmm, cool
2: i guess i'm surprised i mean i accept but i'm surprised oh do you i mean we can deny you the the prediction no no i i don't want denials that's cool i i'm I want the points. Season six,
1: episode eight, Michael predicted that Buffy and Spike will break up in season six. Now this is, uh, I don't know if you highlighted this one, Dennis, or if I did. Um, I didn't. But I think there's an argument to be made here uh, in that Buffy and Spike are closer to having a relationship to break up than <laughs> they've ever have been before. Uh, uh, and my, my like problem with this one is that Buffy and Spike seem to only have breakups and never have a relationship up to this yeah. point. And this, this, is, this is, they this almost are, feel like they have a relationship. Yeah, and when she punches him in the face, maybe that's their breakup.
0: This reminds me of back in like seasons two and three. We were always like, "Are Buffy and Angel in a relationship right now?" It's really hard to tell. Right. Why won't this show define this thing for us? Like, <laughs> it's the same thing with like Buffy and Spike now, where it's like, "Have they broken up?" Well, I don't know. It'd be weird to call it now if they're fucking the next episode, uh, right? So, do we call it now? No. <laughs> i say no. I think okay we leave it we leave it that's fine
1: okay uh buffy season six episode 12 uh michael predicted that buffy will appear to work another shift at the double meat palace and so she
0: has because double meat is double sweet i'd argue this is not an appearance this really happened <laughs> <laughs> uh and
1: given that uh i think a fair number of confirmations there uh michael's scores have gone up uh overall accuracy has gone up to a 64.23 uh and um season six accuracy has gone up to a 64.47 just a little bit over a half a percent away from being your best season overall so we'll uh we'll see how that uh, situation develops in the future
0: good job mike
2: thank you i have new predictions let's just keep doing this (laughs) all right Uh, bottom of the dock here prediction one
1: Andrew by the way we are at 571 predictions I don't know if anybody people who listen are are aware of just how many there are we're currently at 571 and we're about to add more so let's keep going
2: yeah all right prediction one Andrew is going to help kill Warren Jonathan is going to help kill Warren now I have these as two separate predictions because I don't want to just say Andrew and Jonathan because I think if I do that there's a chance that one of them won't help or support, but I'm certain one of them is going to help kill Warren. Jonathan is going to jail. There is no way out. They've committed a murder together, and Jonathan is clearly a weak link. I don't know how he's going to confess, but he's going to confess at some point. So Jonathan's going to jail. I have a super, but before I get to the super, uh, I think Buffy's going to tell the Scooby gang that she and Spike were having sex. I, I was going to say about having a relationship, but clearly the we're in a relationship together, not going to happen. Uh, putting labels on this thing, the show doesn't want to deal with it. Uh, it's, this is what it is. What we're experiencing now, this is the relationship. So her saying this relationship, not going to happen. And then for the super production, Warren is going to die in season six. There's no way out of this now, Warren, you fucked up. <laughs> uh, and whether Andrew and Jonathan, you know, kill him, snuff him out because he goes too far, or, uh, You know, I don't know who Andrew does seem like he's more on Warren's uh, side, like he may end up going down along with Warren. But, you know, a a different writer could spin this a different direction. So uh, I'm just going to keep with this one. Warren's going to die in season six. That's my super. And I'm doing that for points.
0: Uh, I've been Dennis St. John. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dennis Comics, D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X. That's also my .dot com, uh, where you can you can buy my minis, my mini comics, my graphic novels, etc. Uh, thank you, one and all, for listening and talking to us at Buffy Virgin. Don't forget to rate us, and uh, we hope you're subscribing. You can watch us on YouTube. Our Twitter is Buffy at Buffy Virgin Pod, and Instagram is Buffy Virgin. And we'll see you in hell.